most of us at some point in time have felt a sense of sadness or perhaps um, guilt for what might have been. Some of us, maybe we've blamed ourselves for some negative outcomes in life, things that we've done that we've come to regret. Or for others, maybe you'd wish that you could turn back the clock and do things differently this time. We've all been there. We've all had regrets. And regrets can range from mild disappointment to something that didn't quite turn your way to some really life-changing, prolonged feelings of guilt. And all of us have things that we're probably regretting that we had done. And so we've been in this series starting over because we believe that our regrets are not the final answer, that we can indeed start over. And that's why we wanted to do this. And today we're concluding this series. And one of the things that I was thinking about uh, today, is we, even before we get into today's message, is that too often, because of our regrets, we've let those regrets define us. You've labeled yourself as the abused one, or as the addict, or as the loser. Or, uh, and and not, not that it's bad to recognize okay, your, your regrets, but to let them define you certainly is a setup for failure and frustration. In fact, one of the things this series is aimed to do is to not let your regrets define you, but rather to refine you. Because regrets do have a redemptive purpose. Regrets do have a reparative purpose, and that is that we see what had happened. Those regrets speak to what we should do differently, and we can step forward into a future differently than we were before. Because regrets can be your friend if we bring those regrets to the Lord, and he's the one who can help us in this process of starting over, living life beyond regrets. Well, how many of you watched the 2016 Summer Olympics at Rio? Anybody take those in? You know, one of the standout moments of the Olympics was uh, our Olympian swimmer, Michael Phelps. It was his fifth Olympic, and in that Olympics, he earned his 23rd gold medal. But what was intriguing to me beyond the fifth Olympic and beyond the gold medals was the story in between the Olympics that maybe some of you heard, maybe some of you didn't know. But this particular Olympics, we saw a different Michael Phelps. We saw a determined Michael Phelps. In fact, here's a picture of that determined Michael Phelps. Yeah. Um, that's, that's my pre-sermon face, if you see that over in the corner. I'm just getting ready. He was determined to do great in the Olympics. It was just proof positive that he wanted to finish his career on top, and he certainly did. But however, more compelling to me than just the Michael Phelps face and all the memes that came with the Michael Phelps face was, again, the story that maybe you didn't know. Because after the London Olympics of 2012, London Games, Phelps' life was spinning totally out of control. Um, Here we had this great athlete doing well everywhere except right here. Estranged relationships, a emptiness that even though he was successful internationally, there was just an emptiness in his heart that he tried to fill. And he tried to take care of that through self-medication of drugs and alcohol. It was September of 2014 that Phelps really hit rock bottom. After months of dealing with estranged relationships and an increasing apathy towards swimming and substance abuse, Phelps was arrested for a second DUI and was on the verge of losing everything. And uh, just days after his arrest, he sat in his house alone, drinking himself to oblivion. Till finally his friends and family decided to intervene. 
But before that intervention, this is something that went across Michael Phelps' mind. He said, I had no self-esteem, no self-worth. The gold medals won't give you those things, people. I thought the world would be just better off without me. I figured that was the best thing to do, just to end my life. And we've all heard this kind of story before, right? Haven't we? Sports athletes or actresses who came to fame early and built their identity upon something that was not where our identity should have been. And thankfully, his family stepped in and convinced him to check into a rehab facility. And it was in that moment of his life, in that rehab facility, discovered that he could start over. In fact, he brought with him to the rehab facility a book that was given to him by a fellow athlete friend, plays for Baltimore Ravens. His name is Ray Lewis. Ray was a believer in Jesus, and he was deeply touched by a book he read. So he passed this book on to Michael Phelps, and the book was called, anybody know the book? The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. In fact, in an interview that was on uh, many of the sports network channels, he says this, talking about the book, it turned me into believing that there is a power greater than myself. Oh, really? (laughs) Greater than an Olympic uh, gold medalist. Uh, And there is a purpose for me on this planet. A purpose maybe beyond swimming. And as, as bad as hitting rock bottom was, Phelps said it changed everything for him. In fact, a a situation that he certainly regretted became a turning point for his life. And he had stated this, I certainly wouldn't be where I am today in every aspect of my life without that. And then today, what happened because of that transformation? What happened because of that change? He was reconnected with his estranged father, which caused a lot of the drama and tension in Michael's life. He uh, engaged and got married to his, his longtime girlfriend, and together they had a, a, a son and found a new sense of purpose and experienced a renewed passion for maximizing his God-given talent. What we saw in Rio was a different man because it was a man who learned from his regrets that he could start over. Now, where he is in his journey with God, I don't know. I'm not holding him up as a biblical example for us, but I can say this. There are some things that we can learn from our regrets that will change us and transform us. And please understand this. This is a big thought for today. God wants to take your story of regret and turn it into a story of redemption. If you're taking notes today, there are fill in the blanks in the back of your bulletin. If you're using the Bible app, we'd encourage you to do that as well. Or on our website, albanync.org, you can go to messages. And if you hit that, you will notice that there's notes that you can get right off of our website as well. But redemption, God can take your story of regret and transform it, rewrite it to be a story of redemption. What is redemption? Redemption is basically allowing God to take everything of our past, our regrets, our failures, our sin, all of those things, and then use those for his greatest good and his glory. In fact, there's a verse in the Bible, Romans 8, 28, we'll get there in a moment, But it talks about that, Romans 8, 28. Maybe you've heard this, maybe you've memorized this verse. It talks about how God can work all things. How many things? God can work all things together. For what end goal? For the good. For good. 
for good. Now, the, the event you had, the regret you had, the sin you wrestled with, that, that wasn't good. That certainly didn't feel good to you. didn't feel good to others who were affected by it. But God can work all things together, including your greatest regrets, for good for those who love him and are what? Called. Called according to his purpose. And when you're at your lowest, God can be at his greatest. In fact, here's something else you can take home and, or even just write down your notes. Your worst moments are where God can do his best work. That's what he's done, friends, forever. Open the scriptures. You're going to see people at their worst moments where God steps in and creates his greatest work. In fact, we've been looking at one of them. You might remember the name David. Came king of Israel. Much like our Michael Phelps, he was a national hero. Even as a young boy, David was brought into the service of the king, King Saul, as a musician, and ultimately, what did he do? He was brought um, into great military service through the slaying of a giant named Goliath. Even as a young boy, his reputation began to grow. He's a great warrior. He trusts God, and he's a great man, and he becomes eventually king of Israel. We love the stories of David, but there's a darker side to David's story that we've also seen. That David wasn't always this military might. He wasn't always in the up and up. In fact, there was a time when he totally blew it significantly. He commits adultery with Bathsheba. She becomes pregnant. He has Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, killed. The baby that Bathsheba was giving birth to dies. It's a terrible story of tragedy, of darkness. And the question is, is it over for David? I mean, was this great giant slayer, and maybe you've been there before, your past was great and wonderful, but there was this moment in your life when you thought it would totally derail you. That's where David was. He had regrets. But what we see is that God has a way of taking those regrets and writing a different script, writing a story of redemption. We'll get there in a moment, but we've been learning about regrets, the regrets of action, doing the things that we shouldn't have done. It's like, why did I do that? We've talked about the regrets of inaction, the things you should have done and didn't do, the times you didn't act. We've talked about the regrets of reaction, when life happened to you at the hands of an abuser or an accident or something that happened to you that you are having regrets about. You didn't cause them, you didn't make them happen, but yet you're living with those regrets. And those are regrets that tend to get us stuck in what's called the sorry cycle, where we just ruminate, think about it over and over again about our regrets. And once we think that maybe there's a chance for a different future, those regrets suck us right back down once again, and we regret what happened. And it keeps us from what? Living forward. It keeps us from moving Forward. And we talked about how to break out of that cycle. In fact, that's but the point of this whole series is how do I get out of this thing? Well, the first step is you got to recognize we've got regrets. You can't bury them. You can't hide them. You got to own it up and say, yeah, I've got issues in my past that I'm, I'm accountable for. And then secondly to that, you got to release them, which means typically it involves forgiveness, asking God to forgive you, asking somebody else to forgive you, or perhaps forgiving yourself, which is often the hardest. And today we're going to wrap it up with the third thing about getting out of that sorry cycle, which is to redeem your regrets. 
The first two, recognizing and releasing, those are parts that we certainly play, but when it comes to redeeming, it's a very different story. Very different story. We have a part to play, but not as big as the part that God has to play. So I want you to grab your Bibles and go to 2 Samuel, if you would, chapter 12. And if you don't have a Bible, that's okay. We've got the script on the screen for you as well. But we're going to pick up real quick the story of David because he learned that God is about redeeming regrets. Remember when he was confronted by Nathan the prophet, he admitted his sin. David confessed. Psalm 51 shows us the beautiful story of David's prayer of of forgiveness, asking God to forgive him and to restore him. And then we see what happens because of David recognizing and releasing his regret. That brings us to the third point where God redeems the story in David's life. Let's look at it. It's in 2 Samuel 12, verse 24. After this child that Bathsheba was pregnant with through David had died, some years had passed. The story seems to kind of condense it and compress it, but it says this. Then David comforted his wife, Bathsheba, and he went to her and made love to her. And she gave birth to a son, and they named him Solomon. The Lord loved him, and because the Lord loved him, he sent word through Nathan the prophet to name him Jedidiah. So David names his son Solomon, which means God's peace. See, names in the Old Testament time weren't just picked because they were cute or because you could spell them different than anybody else would expect you to spell the name. (laughs) It wasn't like a baby book of names where you sat down and found the cutest one. Oh, that's so cute until they're 30 and go, why am I named this when I'm 30, right? Names had significance of things that were happening in a person's life or in the nation at the time the child was born. Solomon was a sign of the peace that David experienced with God, even after his greatest regret. He confessed, he repented, and God restored him, and there was peace. But then the Nathan, the prophet, comes, and there's a different name also given to Solomon, which is Jedidiah, which means the beloved or God's beloved. That indeed the story of redemption was going to continue. It wasn't ending in that moment of tragedy that God was taking that regret and turning it into redemption. In fact, we see it in 1 Kings chapter 1. Verse 29, then the king took an oath. This is about when David is about to die. As surely as the Lord lives, who has delivered me out of every Solomon, Solomon, every trouble, (laughs) was jumping too many words, I will surely carry this very day what I swore to you by the Lord, the God of Israel. Solomon, your son, shall be king after me, and he will sit on my throne in my place. So what happens? The story continues through Solomon. And Solomon does some great things. God's hand indeed is upon the beloved one, the one who is peace. In fact, Solomon asks God for wisdom, and he becomes the wisest man. And at Solomon's leadership, the temple of Jerusalem is built in all of its glory. There is peace all around Israel on all sides. They are experiencing economic uh, absolute blessing. They're a rich and thriving nation. Everything is up and to the right. Everything is going well. In fact, what we also see is the long view story of God's redemption through David and Solomon. In fact, we won't 
learn much about it until we pop the Bible open to Matthew chapter 1. Now, don't go there, but just trust me. Matthew 1, a lot, in fact, a lot of times we skip right through this part of the Bible because it's a bunch of begats, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, and you kind of go, okay, a lot of begatting, and then we start reading the story of Jesus in Matthew verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 18. But in all of that begetting, we can't miss something very, very, very important. Do you know that in those list of names, David... And Bathsheba, although she's called Uriah's wife, interesting in the genealogy. And then Solomon is mentioned. So we have mentioned right in the genealogy of Jesus, which is the credentials of Jesus, David, Bathsheba, Uriah who died, and Solomon. Think about this for a minute. In the genealogy of Jesus, the greatest redemption story ever, right? We have nestled in there the story of David's adultery, his murder, but also his confession, his repentance, and the redemption that comes through that. Isn't that amazing how God can take all things and work them together for the greatest good ever, which was Jesus who came through the line of David, which means he came through all of that mess. Yet God's redemptive purpose was going to be established. That's the kind of God that we serve. God wants to take your story of regret and turn it into a story of redemption too. Hopefully one that you see before a thousand years from now. But God redeemed all of David's regrets and he can do the same for you. So what I want to give you as we close out today is I want to give you three truths about redeeming regrets. Three truths. The first one is this. Redemption is something God wants to do. Let me say that again. Redemption is something God wants to do. Sometimes what we tend to think is that God really isn't in the business of doing that, at least not for me and my regrets. If you knew my regrets, Kelly, you would know that God isn't wanting to do this because I'm a broken and miserable person. Wrong. God wants to do this. And the truth is he's the only one who can There is nothing that you can do to redeem yourself. Did you know that? In fact, you can go home today and try it. You can try to be as good as you can be. You can't redeem yourself. You can learn from those things, maybe try harder next time, but you can't turn that story of regret into a story of redemption unless God is in it. Because from my experiences, all I've discovered is that I can never redeem myself. But God always can redeem. He is that kind of God who loves and redeems us. But it doesn't mean we don't have a part to play. I have a part to play. You have a part to play in our stories of redemption. You know what that part is? It's to trust. It's to trust that God actually wants to do that for you. Let me give you an example. Redeem actually means to rescue. It's also the word used to buy a slave out of their slavery, to redeem them. Let me give you a word illustration to help you understand how futile it is to try to redeem yourself. Okay, let's imagine you're lost at sea, and you're far away from any flotation device, and you've been treading water for as long as you can, but now you start bobbing, and you're down for the third count, and you know that life is over. You've done all you can to save yourself, because if you could save yourself, you would have by now, but the reality is it's hopeless. You can't save yourself because of where you're at, the context in which you're in. But now imagine that God reaches down and grabs hold of you 
and pulls you out of the storms of the ocean and sets your feet upon a rock. What role did you play in that? You just had to trust the redeeming grace of Jesus to pull you out of what you were in and set your feet on a solid place. Here's what a lot of us do. We fight God. And we say, I, I don't, I'm not worthy of that God. And we want to fight and wrestle with him when he's trying to save us. Or some might say, I don't believe in you, God, because of all these terrible things that are happening in my life. But yet, nonetheless, only he can pick you up, snatch you, and set you on a firm place to stand. How do I know that? Because that's my story as much as it is your story. I can't do anything to redeem or save myself. God does. So what role do we play? We trust him. You can't engineer your redemption story, but here's what you can do. You can partner with God in it and be a willing partner. And this is why this is important. Some of you don't believe God wants to take your past and redeem it because you've let your past define you and you've let your past actually continue to nurse that self-hatred, that loathing that you have because you're a bad person. So to take away that means I, I, I can't hate myself anymore for what I did. Well, how many want to live in that life, right? Hating yourself for what you did rather than being redeemed. Trusting God to take that and turn it in to a new story. So will you do that? Redemption can be a way of life for you. In fact, Isaiah 64.4 says it this way, that God acts on behalf of those who wait for him. God acts. What's our job? To bribe him? To be good enough for him? No, what's it say? Those who wait on him. Those who trust him. Second truth, redemption takes many forms. Redemption takes many forms. Now, I'm not saying all roads lead to Rome. This isn't my point. But what your redemption story is will look a little different than what somebody else's redemption story looks like, which was like somebody else's redemption story. They're, they're all a little bit different, but they all kind of have some common forms. And Jesus is the center of all of them. Because your redemption might look like finding your way back to God. For some of you, it was that great regret in life that brought you to a breaking point, brought you to your knees. And you said, God, I need you. And that brokenness, that regret was finding your way back to God. Maybe some of you are here today and you're wondering, in my brokenness, in my sin, in my regrets, can God receive me? Yes, you can find your way back to God. He's leaving very big pathways with arms wide open for you to come back because of his grace. Redemption can also look like spiritual growth. Some of you who are followers of Jesus, you have, you have great regrets. And those regrets may again have brought you to your knees in humility, which is a great place to be. And say, God, I'm tired of trying to work out this salvation on my own. I need you. And he begins to grow you through your regrets. And you learn from them. And you step forward. And you become an overcomer rather than a succumber. You change. You grow spiritually because the Holy Spirit's at work within you. That redemption might also look like rescheduling, that God has a perfect time for what he wants to do. Some of you had a failure at a point in time. Maybe it was in a relationship or a business adventure or, or whatever that you trusted God for and it didn't seem to come together and you've got regrets for it. Maybe that wasn't the right time. Redemption couldn't look like rescheduling. How many know that his time is perfect? Our time is very flawed. And so God knows when it's supposed to happen for you. And we trust him with the redemption story. He can bring all those things together for good at the right time. Redemption can also look like redirection. 
Many of us, when we came to our greatest regrets, we talked ourselves into them, okay? And we were probably heading in the opposite direction of God's will for our life. Some of those regrets that really sting us, that we've made choices for. And so those can look like redirection, stopping us in our tracks and bringing us back in line with what God wants to do and the plans that he has for you. Redemption can also look like a chance to bless others. You know, some of you have stories of God's redemption, and you've shared those with people to encourage them and to bless them. I know of people who struggle with addiction, and later in life, they become a person who could counsel those who are going through addiction and help them. Others of you had terrible marriage experiences, horrific things that happened, but now God has reconciled you, and as a couple, you can be a resource of blessing to a couple who's going through some of the same kind of stuff that you're going Isn't it cool how God not only can redeem our regrets, but then kind of recycle them, so to speak, that they're used now to help somebody else? If we bring those to him, he can certainly help us. But will you let God do his good work in and through you? Truth number three is this. Redemption requires us to take the long view. The long view. This is the part we don't like. We like the fact that God wants to do redemption. We know that, you know, another important truth is that it has a lot of different forms, and maybe some of those were yours, but now this is the hard one. Because we want our redemption story to happen right now. Now, here's the truth. The rewriting of it begins the day that we bring that before God. And we have recognized it. We've released it. The story begins. But the completion of that story often takes time. For some, it's immediate, but for others, there's months, there's years until they see that story fully materialize in their life. Here's an example. Back to David. David and Bathsheba's first child that they had died, right? Solomon wasn't their second. No, in fact, together, Solomon was their fourth child the one that God chose to use for the long view of what he was doing. You know that throughout Scripture, we see people who had to learn the long view. There was a guy named Abraham, the father of the nation of Israel, who he and his wife Sarah couldn't have children. God gave him a promise that through his seed, all the nations would be blessed, and it wasn't happening. They couldn't see the long view. And so Sarah tells Abraham to sleep with Hagar, the slave woman. And she becomes pregnant with Ishmael, a great regret for the story of Israel. But yet God takes that story. Isaac still comes. His hope is restored. And they take the long view. There's stories throughout Scripture. Moses, who was a murderer, who becomes a deliverer. We have Ruth, who was an idol worshiper and not even a Jewish woman, who becomes written into the story, the genealogy of Jesus, because she marries Boaz who, by the way, is also into the story of David. Some people throughout Scripture, broken. I can continue on with names. We have Esther, Peter, Mary Magdalene, who was a prostitute that gets redeemed and recycled. Zacchaeus, who was greedy and cheating. Dishonest man, who has a story of redemption. There's, of course, the Apostle Paul, a murderer of Christians who becomes the most prominent Christian missionary ever. All of these people, Scripture highlights them as heroes, and they are all people who, out of their regret, 
saw God rewrite over the long view the story of redemption. Here's the thing. Many of us want it now. We want it now. God, fix this now. Give me this new redemption story now. And like I said, his beginnings starts now. But the story for it to develop and fold sometimes takes time. We've got to trust him with the long view. That God sees things from eternity, okay? We see it like now, and God sees it through the lens of eternity. And here's the thing I know about God. In his view, his story for you is beautiful. And you're going to learn how to see your regrets differently than you do right now. You're going to learn to see those as a story of redemption that may bless and encourage not only yourself, but others. But will you let God do his good work in and through you? You know, his redemption doesn't erase the regret. It's still there. But it has a way of putting that regret into the context of his story of goodness and grace and redemption. Don't be ashamed of the past God has brought you out of. That's part of your story of redemption. Every person that we see in Scripture, do you know what also is still recorded of them? Their great moment of failure. You see, without the story of Bathsheba, you don't have the rest of the story of David. Without the story of Moses murdering the Egyptian taskmaster, you don't have the rest of the story of, of Moses the deliverer. Isn't it interesting that they didn't erase those things once they became heroes? Why? It's part of their redemption story. Your regret in that way can be a good thing because it's part of the rewriting of God in the redemption story he has for you. So today we have a choice to make. You have a choice to make. I have a choice to make. And the choice is this. I can stay stuck in my regrets and frozen in time. Or I can start over and watch God take those regrets and write a story of redemption. So here's the truth. God cannot redeem the regrets that you don't release. Okay? God cannot redeem the regrets that you don't release. Some of you, you're good at hanging on to things, and it's time to let it go. He can redeem your story of regrets, but you got to release them. That means you got to stop nursing that hatred, that unforgiveness of others or yourself and let him redeem it. Because as long as your hand is around it, you're going to mess it up. We release it. And then God's redemption can begin to be written in your life. And here's the tendency you're going to have. You're going to want to go back and grab it again. Because you've been so used to it. Some of you, your regret has been with you for years. It's like a bad roommate you need to kick out. You got to release it. God wants to take your story of regret and turn it into a story of redemption. I'd like us to bow our heads and close our eyes and take a moment to personalize this to yourself. Maybe you're here today and those regrets are still very familiar to you. Probably because you feel stuck in them. But we've learned that you don't have to stay there. You can start over. 
by recognizing them. That means owning up to it, not hiding it, not trying to lie to yourself about them, but owning them. And then because of that, releasing them. That's the hardest part sometimes is releasing them. But I'll tell you what, God can do far better with your regrets than you ever could. You got to release them. You got to trust in his goodness and his grace. He can handle it and write a story of redemption instead of regret. But are you going to trust him with that? If you're here today and you're saying, Kelly, today I am making the decision to trust God, to take that story of regret and begin writing a story of redemption in and through my life. And if that's you, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, just raise a hand and say, that's me. I'm, I'm doing that today, Kelly. I'm trusting him. I'm not going to ask you what it is. I'm not going to make you come up and pray it up here and tell the whole world what it is. But if you're here and say, that's me, I just want to pray with you today, okay? Thank you. Anybody else? Just friends, you're in good company. There's lots of hands. Don't worry about it. Let me pray with you. Jesus, you see and you know. There are some people who have been living through what would be an actual hell in this world because of their regrets. Thank you that you've come to break the power of evil, of sin, to write stories of redemption over and over and over again. So God, I thank you for the honesty of those in the room who know their regrets. They're very familiar to them. And I pray in this moment again, they would take this time to recognize those. And maybe they need to confess that before you, to recognize it. And then release it through for asking for forgiveness or maybe extending forgiveness to another. But today, also making the decision to trust you to redeem them. And I know that may not take the pain away right now, but I know that the load will feel different as they trust you with it. And as that regret comes up in the sorry cycle, I pray they'd recognize the truth. They have been set free from that. And they can start over. Because God, you can rewrite that story today to a story of redemption as they trust you. For some today, they need to begin by just committing their life to you. We know that one of the ways that redemption plays out is finding our way back to God. And maybe there are some people in the room today who need to do that. Maybe they don't have all the answers right now. Maybe they don't know exactly how to do that. But maybe there are those that say, I need to return to God today. And if that's you, just with our eyes closed and heads bowed again, just raise your hand and say, that's me, Kelly. I need, to, I, I need God today in my life. Thank you. Anybody else? Father, thank you that your grace is sufficient for all of us. All of us. There are none of us outside the realm of your grace. Thank you for that. But Lord, also thank you that we have the important part to play of trusting you. So we trust you today with our brokenness that you can take that. Because Jesus went to the cross to die for us, for our brokenness, that we could be forgiven. I release that to you. I release the sin. I ask you for forgiveness for the newness of life that only you can bring into my heart today. To start over. Because if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. New creation. The old is gone, and the new is coming. Thank you for that, Lord. We dedicate our lives to you, or we rededicate our lives to you today. In Jesus' name, amen.